Okay, good morning, everybody. Let's, I want to get started. The hour's a little late, and I'd like to uh, finish this verse today. I may take a break next week for a little bit, so uh, we'll see how things progress today. Open your Bibles to Revelation 21, obviously. Verse 8 I'd like to finish this verse up today. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the last hellfire warning in Scripture. And therefore, it behooves us to consider it soberly. It's part of one of the last invitations of God in Scripture. There's yet one more. There's yet one more warning in chapter 22. But these wickednesses, these iniquitous behaviors surround us in America today. I had an interesting encounter this past week. We had some interesting encounters this past week. It wasn't as long of a week mile-wise, about 60 miles, and it kind of went around all over the place. Uh, interesting mix of road, trail, bushwhacking. Thankful that Jim sharpened my machete. My machete, I needed it. Um... But we had some interesting encounters, and I was on the Mountains to Sea Trail one morning, or late morning, and a group of older folks passed by, and I stepped out of the way, and I said, you folks can just come on by, and she said, well, there's a whole lot of us. I said, that's no problem. I'll just wait. I could use a break. And so there was about six or seven of them, and I could kind of tell what I was dealing with. You can sometimes get a good idea. It's not wise to always judge a book by its cover, but sometimes you can get a good idea. Just like when you see the cover of a porno mag, you know it's a porno mag. Sometimes you can see the cover and know what you're dealing with. Well, one of the, 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 the gentlemen walked by and he just not stopped and kind of rudely, it was just very weird, very weird. Don't know where they're from. He just rudely said, are you Noah? And I said, what? He said, you're Noah, right? And I said, no. He said, well, I thought that's who you were. And I'm thinking to myself, who talks to a stranger like that? You know, and it just kind of came out of my mouth. And I said, well, my name's not Noah, but I'm preaching the same message Noah used to preach. And he said, well, what would that be? And I said, well, this old wicked country of ours is in big trouble with God and judgment's coming. And people need to wake up and repent before it's too late. And he just kind of shook his head. And then one of the older ladies came up and put her hand on me uh, and said, Now, why would you say something like that? And I said, Well, why don't we start with the clown show in Washington we call the government? That's obvious. That's evidence that God's judgment's already upon us. She said, Well, no, that's a good government. We need that government up there. And I said, Ma'am, are you kidding me? 
I said, half of those wicked devils in the government up in Washington ought to be shot for their crimes against this country. They're wicked as hell. And at that point, it was just like, ah, you know. And this guy says, the guy behind her says, you're just stupid. And I said, well, actually, let me tell you what stupid is. Let me tell you what stupid is. Stupid is running in fear and cowering over a virus with a 99% survival rate while you have no fear whatsoever of the one who holds the galaxies and the heavens in his hand. That's stupid. And you folks better repent before it's too late. And they're just jawing and going on the mountain. Then I got into my Noah mode. I mean, he said it, not me. Repent, repent, repent before it's too late. And I thought about all of this stuff here, just all around us, all around us. And it behooves us to consider these things so that we can recognize them and not fall prey to the lies of the spirit of the age. So we've gotten through fearful, the cowardly, the unbelieving. Those are in line first. Pretty serious before the Lord. The abominable, the murderers, and the whoremongers. Whoremongers all around. That video that came out this week of that uh, San Francisco gay choir, those are whoremongers. You know, most likely given over to a reprobate mind. I don't know there's any hope for people like that. They need to fall on their knees and beg God for mercy. If peradventure He will grant them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. But that's whoremongering. And I've, we've always known they're coming for your children. But raise your children on the Word of God. And you don't have to worry about them being corrupted. My children know that's evil. My children know that's a diabolical wickedness from the pit of hell. They know that homosexuality is an abomination. I've raised them to believe and fear God's word. They know that. And that's the greatest defense against these whoremongers and liars in our culture is to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that when they grow old, they can know the truth. But I want to start today. We got through these. I want to look at the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. So let's do that. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers. Looky, looky what we have here. This ought to hit home, this ought to be applicable. Because if we go back to the original language of the New Testament, the Koine Greek, and we look at the word that's translated sorcerers here, rightly so, it's the word pharmakeus or pharmakeion. What does that sound like? Pharmacy. Sorcerers. Guys, you may not want to hear this. You may not agree with it, but I believe it. And if I believe it, naturally I think I'm right or I wouldn't believe it. I'm not the guy that's going to tell you one thing and then apologize for it. Maybe you haven't figured that out yet. But naturally I believe it. If you can show me, like Martin Luther said, with logic and scripture that I'm wrong, then I'll change. But the American Medical Association, the Centers for Disease Control, Anthony Fauci, the pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, the mass Nazis, the COVID superstition people, the COVID cult, the lockdowns. Guys, that's sorcery. It's sorcery. It's devil-worshipping sorcery. And that is not 
a stretch of the imagination. That's not hyperbolic speech. It's not exaggeration. This is sorcery. Sorcery's never changed. We often think of wizards and witches. No. Sorcery involves pharmacaeus. It's all about potions and spells and dabbling in the, the spiritual world and, and messing in things that God told His people Israel to stay away from. And that's what American medicine is. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go to the doctor and get treatment and get medicine and get good advice. I mean, it used to be in America you went to the doctor when you were sick and they treated your sickness. Now people go to the doctor because they hope they're not sick and they just want to make sure. And if they are sick with a symptom, they'll give you a drug to treat the symptom without trying to treat the cause of it. And they'll encourage you in the ways you're living that are, that are ruining your health and just put one drug on top of another, one drug on top of another to where we have an, a population of people addicted to drugs. Sorcery! And the sorcerers have no part in the kingdom of God. Drugs are sorcery. It's where the word pharmacon means pharmacaeus or pharmacaeon, uh, just depending on the number or the, the gen, gender being used, or the number, the plural or the tense being used there in Greek, the number of the tense. It literally means a drug or a spell, and a pharmacaeus is a poisoner, one who poisons others for their own profit. That's a sorcerer. And that's exactly what the drug companies are in this country. That's exactly what the, Americ the, the medical media complex is in this country. That's exactly what we've been hoodwinked by this last year. That doesn't mean that COVID's not real. That doesn't mean that people haven't died or been very sick. That doesn't mean we haven't lost loved ones. It doesn't mean any of that. Asa the king got sick. And he went to the sorcerers and the doctors to get treatment and didn't even stop to seek the Lord who had delivered him from a great host that had invaded the land. And so he died diseased in his feet. This word used here is where we get the word pharmacy or pharmacist. Most medical treatment in America today, I'm the wrong guy to ask about where to go for treatment here in the States. I'm the wrong guy. Most of it in this country is sorcery. Health and safety is sorcery. Witch doctors are advising us most of the time. Now, I'm very grateful. I've got a family doctor that I can go to. Doesn't mean he's right about everything. He doesn't claim to be right about everything. But I believe I can get sound advice. And he has his head on straight and fears the Lord. And thankfully, you're not getting the standard mantra. And so I got what I considered to be sound advice from him a week or so ago when I visited. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we still have some good doctors out there. But most of them are witch doctors. Most of them. We are a nation of hypochondriacs who love to dabble in sorcery. That's what we are. Everybody's sick. Everybody's afraid of this. Terrified of that. The drug companies. Now the drug companies in their advertisements for their drugs, which, you know, if you watch them, you got to have your ears on because they go real fast through the little fine print there at the end about all the side effects and everything. Real fast. 
So they can say, well, we warned you, but you're, nobody's got enough nerve. The nerve synapses don't work that fast to be able to hear all of that. So here they're offering and peddling a drug that the side effects create all the problems that you're trying to avoid. But now the drug companies, I've, I saw a commercial just a week or so ago, are, are peddling not just the drugs, but the homosexuality. Because now they're featuring homosexual couples and families in the commercials. Guys, it's sorcery. You're going to trust a drug company that's got to show you a man and a man hugging on each other with their little kid in there at the kitchen table like they're just a normal family? Sorcery. Sorcery always has a spiritual element to turn people away from God. And if you, you can't tell me that the medical system in this country doesn't have a spiritual element. We are a nation of hypochondriacs who dabble in sorceries. God told the... We talked about the world system in Revelation 17 and 18. John sees the judgment of the great whore, religious Babylon, and then the fall of commercial Babylon. And we talked about this a while ago. We see the fall of the world system. That world system has a religious element, chapter 17, and it has a commercial element, chapter 18. And it's funny how all of this stuff today, this whole COVID thing, is, it's religious, spiritual, and, and commercial all tied together. But she falls. The world system falls. And we're told in Revelation chapter 18, verse 23, and... The light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall no more be heard at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. The world system peddles sorceries, and by it all nations are deceived. All nations have been deceived about a lot of things. The last year or so, sorceries. One day that world system will fall. You know what God tells us though? Who have to live in the world system, who have to dwell amongst it, who have to hear these things day in, day out. He tells us what to do a little bit earlier in chapter 18. These are verses we've already exegeted in this study. John sees the fall of religious and commercial Babylon and he hears a voice as the world system falls, he hears a voice in verse 4 of 18 from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Come out. We are called to come out of the system. We have to live amongst it. We have to be in the world, but not of it. Guys, if the way we're thinking and the way we're acting falls in line with the great majority of the world and what the system and what the government is peddling, then we need to ask ourselves if what we're doing is the way of God or the way of the world system. Because the way of God comes out of the world system. We're told there in Hebrews 11 that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. They that say such things declare plainly they seek a country. They saw a heavenly country. They were persuaded of these things and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Guys, we're strangers and pilgrims. We don't need to be caught up in all this garbage. 
America is in big trouble for its sorceries. And the church is in trouble because we didn't and we haven't spoken out against the sorcery. It's not just the medical stuff, guys. It's not just the CDC. It's not just the vaccine pushers who very well may come knocking on your door this week. It's already started in North Carolina. It started in Cornelius last week. People representing the Biden administration going door to door to hassle people. You guys need to understand that you are not required to give them any information. You are not required to let them in your house. This is not the census where by law you're required to provide information. If these folks come knocking on your door, you just need to tell them to leave. I I read some things that a Christian lawyer said. He encouraged people to put a no trespassing sign in the yard. That's not me. I don't like that. I understand that. I don't like to put a no trespassing sign in my yard because I want to be hospitable and I don't want to scare people away. So I'm not really comfortable with that personally. But you guys just be prepared and just tell them that, uh, you know, you're not interested in their information and that you will seek the Lord and make your own decisions. And if they don't leave, this attorney that I read said you need to threaten to call the sheriff or the police because they are not, they have no right to come on your property and try to enter in your house. So just beware of that. When the sorcerers come, beware. But it's not just in the medical. There's just all of this stuff. You know, we look at things and we talk about science. Most of what's called science today is not science. It's not the pursuit of knowledge. It's not discovering truth about how God's creation works through testing and experimentation and repeatable uh, processes. It's not that. It's sorcery. Most of what's peddled as science is sorcery. They know how to make numbers that get numbers and they use numbers to, to, to dictate a narrative. I mean, guys, you've got to figure this stuff out and quit listening to the liars. NASA, National Aeronautics and Space Association, sorcery. Now, I mean, you may not agree, you may not like it, but it's sorcery. NASA's never proven one thing about how the heavens work. Nothing. Nothing's ever been proven. They don't have a shred of proof. They've said a lot. Guys, you've got to read, you've got to study, you've got to open your eyes a little bit. Most of it's sorcery. Matthew showed me, sent me a picture the other day of a license tag on a car. and It was a North Carolina tag, and it said Mars Rover on it. Big old NASA sticker on the back. Guys, there are no rovers running around Mars right now. You understand, that's sorcery. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. Go get a high-dollar Nikon camera with a high-dollar zoom lens and look at Mars in the heavens one night. I've seen Mars in the heavens. It's not a ball of rock. Just look at it. You can do it yourself. You can see video yourself. They're liars. They're sorcerers. They want you to think that you are all there is and there is no God who preserves over His creation, who, who presides over it. They want to think you're a random accident and that the universe is God. No, not the universe. The universe... It's not God to them. Man is God. But only they, only the elites are God. We, they got to get rid of the rest of us. Sorcery. All the UFO talk. Beware, it's coming. The government's suddenly going to tell you that they've got evidence of UFOs and there's alien life. Don't believe it. It's sorcery. The Bible tells us that Eve was the mother of all living and that the earth is the center of God's plan and purpose for this universe. He created the earth, and the heavens were created for the earth. 
You are not a random accident. We are not on a random planet, one of millions of planets with intelligent life. That's not what the Scriptures say. It's sorcery. When the UFO talk comes out to draw your attention away from God and to make people think that, that nothing can be true in the Bible, just don't listen to it. It's predictable. Most of all, this stuff is a Baal cult that's not much different than what went on in Israel and Judah in the kingdom of old. Fascinated with the heavens and the planets and the creature more than the creation. Worshiping the creature more than the Creator. Looking to the sun. Beware. There's sorcery all around. There's one time in the Scriptures that we have the word planet. Mentioned. It's in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 5 and following. It's mentioned one time, and it's discussing the revivals and the purges under the righteous King Josiah, the last king of the kingdom of Judah. God had determined to carry away Judah captive. God made that decision back in the wilderness wanderings because of Israel's wickedness. But God granted a period of respite in revival under Josiah before he carried away the nation. That gives us hope. That should give us hope. That story ought to give us hope where we are in America. That's what I pray for. But Josiah began to purge the land of its sorceries and of its sin and of its wickedness and the groves and the idols. Josiah is the one that went, finally did what so many had an opportunity to do before. He went into the northern kingdom into Samaria and destroyed the, the calves that were set up by Jeroboam. He was prophesied to do that 300 years before his birth. That's one of the places in Scripture where a man's name is mentioned 300 years before his birth. But it's in the context of Josiah. We are told that Josiah loved the Lord his God with all his heart, his soul, and his might. That's what God told us to do in His law, but Josiah is the only one in Scripture that is said he did that. And there was none like him amongst the kings. Not even David. There was none like him. A righteous king. But it tells us in 2 Kings 23, there's the only mention of planets in the Bible. And he put down the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. Those that worship the host of heaven are Baal worshipers. It's a sun cult, and it's as old as the earth. It's as old as the earth. Most of this garbage that peddles itself as science today is exactly that. It's no different. It's sun worship. It's Baal worship. Worshiping the planets. Acting like there are these worlds out there that we can flee to and leave earth and go set up colonies and all this kind of stuff. They tried that at Babel. It didn't work. All God had to do was snap his fingers and they all couldn't understand each other anymore. Man is not going to leave this earth NASA even admits he can't do it. They say it out of their own mouths. that We haven't figured out how to leave Earth orbit. We can't go back to the moon because we lost all the technology. It's right out of their own mouth. You can look it up yourself and watch them say it. Sorcery. The word planet is from the Greek 
planetase, just like we get pharmacists from pharmacaeon, we get planet from planetase. It means a rover, a wandering star. It's like a star that's not fixed. You know, the stars in the heavens and the constellations and stuff that God has made, they're fixed and they move around Polaris, the North Star. People have been guiding ships by the stars for centuries. In fact, the greatest navigational discoveries weren't made when there was GPS. It was made when men knew how to follow the stars in the heavens, something we wouldn't even know how to do if we, our life depended on it today. But a planet is a rover. It's a wandering star. Guys, when we call the earth planet earth, we are calling the earth what the Bible does not. The earth is not a planet. The earth is the Lord's. The heaven is His throne. The earth is His footstool. The earth is not one of a whole bunch of different planets, just one in a million. The earth is the center of God's plan and purpose for this creation. That's what the Bible teaches. I don't care what the Creation Museum says. I don't care what... I really don't care what Henry Morris... I don't care about any of that. The earth is the center. And it's wrong to call it a planet because it's not. The planets are in the heavens. The planets, unlike the stars, move. They wander. And Jude likens false teachers to planets. He, he, he talks about false teachers as being wandering stars. That's the one place we have the word planet from the Greek in the New Testament. It's translated wandering star. They're rovers. Wicked false teachers who move back and forth, don't take a firm stand on any truth, wandering all over the place with their teachings and their doctrines and their example, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, Jude 13. So those are just some things to keep in mind, guys. There's a lot of sorcery out there in the medical world, in the space world. I don't even like to call it space. Outer space, what is that? God says He created the heavens. He created the sun to give light on the earth. He created the moon to give light on the earth. He created the stars. And He knows all the stars by name. All of them. And the planets are the, are in the heavens, the constellations, everything up there, God made. And He knows how it works. We don't know how it works unless God reveals it to us. So we just need to think about even the language we use because it's really not correct. It's just like the word homosexual. It's really not right. It doesn't belong in our vocabulary because homosexual assumes by definition evolution. And evolution is a lie. Evolution is sorcery. It takes more faith to believe evolution than it does the simple truths of the Bible because the proofs are all around, the proofs are all around us. Sorcery. Beware the sorcerers. Heliocentrism governs everything in our schools and our universities. The idea that we all rotate around the sun and the sun is the center and there's all this other stuff out there, but the sun, the sun, the sun determines everything. That is sorcery. I'll tell you what's sorcery. The idea that we populate a random planet that spins around a random sun in a random corner of a random universe. That is sorcery. Just like the 25 men that God showed Ezekiel standing in the inner court of the Lord's house at Ezekiel 8. Let me show you, Ezekiel, what's going on in my temple. 25 men in the inner court near the Holy of Holies with their backs 
toward God's altar and their hands spread to the heavens, worshiping the sun. It's never changed. Sorcery. Stop listening to the sorcerers and wizards and liars who deny the God who made them. We got to learn to judge and, and weigh these things. Doesn't mean that there's not truth out there. Doesn't mean we can't know things. Doesn't mean that everything NASA have, has ever said is a lie, but NASA's never proven anything. But the worst kind of error is the error that has truth mixed into it. We just need to be aware. We need to realize that we live in a nation full of sorcery. And we need to be on guard. The sorcerers have no part in the kingdom of God. The sorcerers will have their part in the lake of fire. You know, I think about these people that fancy themselves experts. Guys, be careful about those who fancy themselves expert doctors. You need to remember that these same people who are experts about your health and safety or fancy themselves believe and shout loud that a baby in the womb is not a human being. Yes. You're going to listen to people that deny that a baby in the womb is a human being when it comes to your health and think that they've got your best interest at heart? Not just the sorcerers, the idolaters. The idolaters. The worshipers of false gods. Got a lot of that in America today. You know, we think of idol, idol worshipers or idolaters. We think of images of gold, silver, stone, and wood. Oh yeah, there's plenty of that that goes on on the earth today. There's some of that here in America. People that worship their cars. They worship their homes. They worship masks and vaccines. They worship Fauci. I mean, we got all that all around us. We're no better than the third world. There are idol worshipers who worship a God that they have fashioned in their own mind to serve their own lusts and pleasures. So today in America, there are many idol worshipers in church today. Idol worshipers. They have fashioned a God in their own mind that isn't as God has revealed Himself to us. It's one who they have fashioned to serve their own lust and pleasures. It's the God that many worship who is okay with homosexuality and whoremongering. That's a false God. That's idol worship. There are idolaters who worship Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's the other Jesus that Paul warned about. Paul warned the Corinthians that there would come those preaching another Jesus than whom I've preached to you. And you better be careful. If you don't get this mess straightened up in your church, you're going to end up believing that garbage. By paraphrase. Another Jesus. Guys, it's possible to claim Jesus and be an idol worshiper because Jesus to you is not the Jesus of the Bible. Mormon Jesus is an idol. Catholic Jesus is an idol. JW Jesus is an idol. And it's becoming increasingly true that Southern Baptist Jesus is an idol. It's sad. Some of the biggest idolaters in America today are the atheists, there's no such thing as an atheist. 
An atheist is actually an atheist because his God is himself. His God is himself. Because not only does he deny the God that made him, he wants to push his foolishness on everyone else and isn't satisfied until they agree with him. He's an atheist. He's an idolater. The biggest temples to idolatry in America today are the universities. Temples of idolatry. No different than the temple of Diana that was in Ephesus. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. It's no different. The universities are the idol temples of today. Why would Christians want to send their children to these temples of Antichrist, the spirit of the age? I hope the last year has woken people up to that. I've preached on enough college campuses for years that I've been able to see things that the average people don't see on the outside. I wouldn't put my child in a university if my life depended on it. If I had to choose between a painful, torturous death and sending my children to a university, I'll take death without even thinking about it. Wicked as hell. Sorcery. Idolatry. Christians ought not be putting their children in these public universities. Maybe there's still a community college here or there or a trade school that's got some, something left, but be careful. When they say they're coming for your kids, they've already come for your kids. That's right. People have been warning us for years and we didn't listen. They can come right out and say it and we still don't believe it. We still write it off. I'll tell you where you'll, you'll find idol temples as well. You'll find them in the doctor's offices and the hospitals. Heroes work here. Idolatry. Because you know why? It's not other people saying that about them. It's them saying it about themselves. Yeah, I've got people in my own family that fancy themselves heroes because during COVID they went to the hospital and did their job. I'm a hero. Look what i got to deal with every day. Guys, that's idolatry. A righteous person doesn't praise himself. He lets other people praise him, as Proverbs says. You know what Jesus said about those who do their job? Who simply do their job. Jesus doesn't call them heroes. He says there in Luke chapter 17, I don't mean to offend anybody if you've got family in the medical field. Luke chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, doth, talking about a master whose servant did what was commanded of him. Verse 9, Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. People that have simply done the job they're hired to do, who go around professing themselves to be heroes, are not doing what Jesus said. That's not the spirit of Jesus. Idolatry. Guys, if you go to work and do your job, you're not a hero. You're just doing your duty. So what, what makes someone who works in a doctor's office more of a hero than the guy that busts his rear end to provide for his family in a factory every week? I'd say the guy in the factory that provides for his family is more a hero because he ain't got to talk about himself all the time. He just does his job. This idea that by doing our job, we're heroes. That's idolatry. That's what it is. The covetous are idolaters. In fact, the Bible, we often talk about how the law of God 
God judges the heart. And that lust is adultery. Hatred is murder. But guys, covetousness is idolatry. To covet. Colossians 3 verse 5 says that covetousness is idolatry of the heart. Just like lust is adultery of the heart. Just like hatred is murder of the heart. Ephesians 5 verse 5 says a covetous man is an idolater who has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Guys, those who covet health and safety are idol worshipers. Idolaters. If you covet health and safety and everything you do is about your health and safety, then at best you're a disobedient Christian and at worst you're an idol worshiper. If you covet the security of your job and your career, the security of your popularity and your reputation, the Bible says you're an idol worshiper. You're an idolater. Health and safety, in my opinion, is a a cult in this country. The health and safety cult. People in the third world laugh at us because they have no choice but to deal with the curse of this world on a daily basis. If your health and safety is always first in your life, you're not a worse reason to repent. If health and safety was what guided every step I take, I'd have never left my house and taken one step across North Carolina. Doesn't mean we shouldn't take precautions. Doesn't mean that an ounce of prevention is not worth a pound of cure. Doesn't mean any of that. But God hasn't called us to health and safety. He's called us to obedience. The health and safety cult in this country is an idolatrous cult that denies God. A Christian may covet, my friends, but he is not a covetous man. He is not an idol worshiper. That is not his identity. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Don't claim to serve God. And everything you do is about your health and safety, your career, your 401k. You can't serve God and mammon. It's impossible. So those who serve mammon are liars when they say they serve God. Those are the words of Jesus. The sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. Guys, all liars, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Now this word in the original language is interesting. In Greek it's the word pseudes. It's where we in English get the word pseudo. What does pseudo mean? It's false. It may look real, but it's fake. In other words, all the fakers, not just the liars, the fakers. The Bible has a lot to say about lying. God hates a lying tongue, Proverbs 6, 16, and 17. A lying tongue is one of seven things God hates. Yes, He hates. He hates. One of seven things that He really hates is a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. A liar is of his father, the devil, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is the liar, the chief liar, and his lies resulted in murder. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar and the father of all liars. So the father of a liar is the devil, not God. Now, Jesus said these words about the devil in a greater context that's interesting. It's in John 8, 
talked about that he said the devil is the father of lies. But it's interesting to note who Jesus is talking to. You know, there's this lie out there that Jesus only ever rebuked the Pharisees. He only ever rebuked the religious leaders and the hypocrites. He just loved on everybody else. The context here of what he said, however, is very interesting. John 8, 44 is what I just referenced, but if you back up to John 8, verse 31, who is Jesus talking to? Then Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him. He wasn't talking to Pharisees, guys. He was talking to people that were following Him around that were claiming to believe on Him. But He knew their hearts. And He knew they were fake. He knew they were pseudo. These same people that believed on Him call Him a devil later in the chapter. This wasn't the Pharisees, guys. This was the people playing the part. And he called them out. They were liars. A liar is a faker. He's pseudo. Those who say one thing, but they believe or do another. <clears throat> Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and unto every good work reprobate. There's another word in there. I, I skipped a word, I'm sure of it. Titus 1.16. Titus 1.16. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Pseudo. I trust God, but. I love God, but. I believe in God, but I follow Jesus, but folk, there's a lot of folks that claim to be trusting God with what they cannot see, but their eternal salvation, but they can't seem to trust God with the things they can see. They can't trust Him with their health, their finances, their safety, their job. There are people out here that will walk away from everything they've claimed to believe just to keep a job. There are people, I know them, I know people in my family who will walk away from everything they claim to believe because a child came home and said, I'm gay. Pseudo. Pseudo. Guys... If we trust God for our eternal salvation, something we can't see, something we believe by faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and yet we can't trust Him for anything in this life, then something's wrong. I had an aunt like that. T claimed everything about the Lord, trust Him, whatever, but in nothing could she trust the Lord in this life. Scared to death, worried sick about everything, always calling my dad, bugging him about every little thing, couldn't do anything. Worried and freaked out about everything. I think she needs to get saved, personally. I don't know if she has or not. I haven't seen her or talked to her in years. The career. Scared to death we might have to take a stand, we might lose our job. Guys, a career is a 20th century invention anyway. And if we can't take... Trust God to take care of us with the little things. He clothes the grass of the field, which is plucked today and burned in the oven tomorrow. 
He clothes the lilies. He clothes, he takes care of the sparrows and the birds. We can't trust him to take care of us when it comes to a job or a paycheck or our health or our clothes. The Bible says if we have food and water and raiment, which includes shelter, then we ought to be satisfied. But there's a lot of Christians who aren't. They say they trust God, but they don't because it, they can't trust Him for anything in their lives. I'll prove to you that my trust is in Christ for my salvation because I'm able to trust the Lord in other things. Some of you would ask, how can I say these things? Who are you to say such things? I'll tell you who, who I am. I'll boast in my infirmity because that's what Paul did. I'll boast in my infirmity. The U.S. government puts out a chart every year of what they call a poverty threshold in America. So there's a certain income level that is considered poverty. Anything below that is considered poverty. So there's a threshold for a single individual, a couple, a family of three, four, five, and so on. In 2020... My income as a, pa- a preacher and a martial arts instructor was only 17% above what the United States government calls poverty for a family of five. So yes, I can say all of these things. In 2021, it's only 16%. You see, my income hasn't changed. 16% above poverty. So yeah, I can say these things because my life lives it. We trust the Lord and He provides. And it's not because we're special. It's because God rewards those that seek Him. Guys, I report my income. I don't hide it. I report it honestly every year. I don't owe any man anything. I have no debt. And we've never lacked for anything. I can honestly say that over all these years of ministry. I know people that get paid a whole lot more. And they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's what the Bible said. But they can't seem to have two nickels to rub together. I don't get it. So yeah, I can talk about these things. The question is, are we real or are we pseudo when it comes to our faith? The pseudo goes into the lake of fire. Jesus said, many will come unto me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? Heal the sick, raise the dead, all kinds of stuff. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Those who add to God's word are liars. Proverbs 35 and 6. When you add to God's word and you put burdens on people that aren't there in God's word, like the Jewish rabbis do, building a big fence around the law. You can't eat cheese on your burger. You can't flip on a light switch on the Sabbath day. The Bible says you're a liar. When you add to God's words. Those who say they have no sin are liars. 1 John 1, 8. Those who say they love God and yet hate their brother in Christ are liars. 1 John 4, 20. Those who say they know God and do not keep His commandments are liars. 1 John 2, 4. Proverbs says that the prayer of such an one is an abomination to God. It's actually possible to pray and be sinned against God because you don't, you're not interested in what God's Word has to say. 
A professing Christian who says he is a homosexual, his sexual lust and whoremongering is the least of his problems. He's a liar. He's a liar. 1 John tells us the worst type of liar out there. There's one liar that's worse than them all, guys. Worse than them all, my friends. 1 John 2, 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. The worst type of liar out there is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, God in human flesh. He that teacheth otherwise is a liar. Not our brothers in Christ. Liars. If you deny Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, you deny God the Father. That is the spirit of Antichrist, not the spirit of Christ. Islam, Muslims who teach Islam are liars. Rabbinic Judaism is the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not talking about biblical Judaism. I'm talking about rabbinic Judaism that denies Jesus Christ. Their Targums and their uh, Mishnas and their uh, Talmuds say things about Jesus that even the Muslims wouldn't say. That's how wicked some of that stuff is. It's, 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 it's Antichrist. Allah is not the God of the Bible. Mormon Jesus from the planet Kolob is not the God of the Bible. Mormon Jesus, who's just another angel, a created being, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, is not the God of the Bible. These false cults are liars. They deny Jesus is the Christ. In fact, that's what made the people so mad at Stephen when he was preaching in Jerusalem. He told them that you guys are liars, that you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping the heavens, and you're worshiping false gods, and your little star is not of God. It's the star of your God, Remphan. God told you this, and then he quotes Amos the prophet, who Amos made it very clear that you, your ancestors weren't worshiping God that 40 years in the wilderness. They claimed to, but they were carrying around their little idols. They were carrying around the, those idols. Of course, that got Stephen stoned for calling out liars. You know, anytime we see the star of David, guys, it's really not a trinket. It's really not something that's holy or religious. The star of David ought to remind us how far Israel still is from the Lord. Because that's a pagan symbol going back to the days of the wilderness wanderings. It's a symbol of their turning from God. Now, they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't agree with that. But guys, we, we ought to think about that. Anytime we see a star of David, we, it ought to remind us how far Israel still is from God. That it, it ought to remind us of God's faithfulness. He's going to keep His promise and Israel's going to wake up one day and it ought to drive us to share the gospel with them. We've been praying God would put... Jewish folks in our path on this walk. He very well may have last week. I didn't get the chance to ask, but a family stopped to ask me some directions in the Mount Pisgah parking lot. They were from, he said they came from Russia and the Ukraine and um, they looked, they had that look. They looked Jewish to me, but we didn't ask, but I gave him a gospel tract and he just was like, man, thank you. You were really nice to us. I appreciate that. So it was a nice little encounter. So maybe God did answer our prayer. Praise God. I don't want to claim that. I don't know for sure. 
But anytime we see the star of David, it ought to remind us that Israel is still far from the Lord. They need the Lord. Because rabbinic Judaism lies about God and the Messiah. Not biblical Judaism. Not the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Guys, a Christian may tell lies, but he is not a liar. An unsaved man doesn't tell lies. He's a liar. Does that make sense? A Christian might tell a lie or tell lies, but he's not a liar. An unbeliever doesn't tell lies. He's a liar. Okay? A believer may do deeds associated with this list of things here. You know, we've kind of come to the end here. All liars is the end of a list here. He may do some of the deeds associated with this list and he's going to lose rewards of inheritance and he's going to be punished for doing them, chastened of the Lord. He that is without chastisement from the Lord is a bastard. That's a King James word. I like it. It's not a child of God. But we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 11.32 That's why we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. A Christian may become guilty of such things, but he is still a Christian. And the Bible says that a Christian is sealed unto the day of redemption. That's why Paul could say this in Romans chapter 7. Now, people get this passage all messed up, say things about it that deny the context. Paul in Romans chapter 7 is speaking as a child of God, as a converted man. He's not looking back on his previous conversion and all or before his conversion and speaking as a, as a lost sinner. And the proof of that is that he says right here in Romans 7 that he delights after the law of God. He delights after God's law in the inward man. Now over in Corinthians, Paul says that the natural man can't understand the things of God's law, that, it, that God's law is foolishness unto him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that God's law is foolishness to the unbelieving. And here he says God's law is a delight to him. So he's speaking as a saved man. And he says this in chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. So he finds himself doing things he shouldn't do. Or he knows he doesn't want to do them. And that he finds himself not doing things that he knows he should do. So he's got a conscience. He's got a conscience that's awake. And he knows things are wrong. And he knows things are right. And he judges himself. Not making excuses. Now, verse 20, if I do that I would not. If I do what I shouldn't be doing because of my identity in Christ. It is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. See, Paul's identity as a saved man is no longer as a sinner. Christians aren't sinners of the Gentiles. We are saints. Blood-bought saints of the living God. And when we sin against God, it's not us in our true identity. It's sin that dwells in us, in this flesh. That's not making an excuse for sin. That's just emphasizing that we have a new identity in Christ. And that's why we need to live like it. It's no longer I, but sin that dwells in me. Sin is not our identity as Christians. That's why we have a conscience. That's why we know what's right and wrong. The Holy Spirit living in us. 
Why is it not our, our identity? Because the Christian's sins have been paid for. They've been atoned for. He's been separated from them by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. The same Paul when he was preaching in, I think it was in Antioch on the first missionary journey after Paul, uh, John Mark had left him in Barnabas. He's preaching, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things. Even right there what we read in Revelation 21.8. From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. In Jesus Christ we can be declared righteous from all things. And then we're told in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All means all. And that's all all means. Past, present, future. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross... Your sins were nailed to the cross. It's not your identity anymore. As a genuine born-again believer, when you sin, it's not you and your identity in Christ. It's sin that dwells in you. That's why we need to confess our sins and He's faithful and just to forgive us. It's not our identity. So praise God for eternal security in Christ. The salvation we preached, preach cannot be lost. There are many who claim it, but don't have it. But I believe and I declare and I preach eternal security. Therefore, these things written here are not your identity. Don't walk in them. Don't walk in them. Romans chapter 6 verse 15 says these words. What then, knowing this, knowing that our salvation is secure in Christ, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under God's grace? Or under grace? God forbid. Just because our sins are nailed to the cross, should we continue in them? No. If you have the Spirit of God, you understand that. This is a glorious truth. Eternal security. It's a glorious truth to help us walk in righteousness. It's not an excuse to sin. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I believe in eternal security. I preach eternal security. If what I offer the lost man is no different than the Buddhist that gets up every morning and walks around the temple 10, 20 times hoping to earn merit. If I can't offer you any more than that, then Jesus is no different than man-made religion. It's unsecure. But praise God for a salvation that's secure. Praise God we can know that we have eternal life and have confidence because of what Jesus has done. I believe in eternal security. But I reject that good old Southern Baptist once saved, always saved. I reject it. Now does that make sense to you or does that sound like a giant contradiction? 
Once saved, always saved. I've heard preached all my life. Not as an encouragement to walk in righteousness, but as an excuse for your sin. Doesn't matter. You're once saved, always saved. You prayed the prayer, once saved, always saved. Don't matter. No, 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 no. Once saved, always saved is not eternal security. A man that's truly saved is always saved. But his eternal security, the proof of it, isn't Walking in sin and excusing it. It's motivation to walk in righteousness. So, once saved, always saved as a side note that excuses these sins here in Revelation 21. Uh Uh-uh. Eternal security. A glorious truth to motivate us to walk in righteousness. Amen. Amen. God preserves His saints. Once you are saved... And washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're always washed. And you understand that you now have the Holy Spirit. And you now have the power to say no to sin. And when you sin, you confess it. You forsake it. You don't make excuses for it. It's a big difference. Nevertheless, our salvation is secure in Christ. A Christian cannot lose his soul. A true believer can't lose that soul. But the Christian who does these things here, who walks in these things here in Revelation 21.8, who falls into these things, he can't lose his soul. But mark my words, he can lose a lot. You can lose a lot. The Christian who dabbles in this mess, We've talked about the sorceries and the lying and the idolatry and the covetousness and the whoremongering and the unbelieving and the fear. Stands to lose a lot. David said to God that he needed the Holy Spirit to restore unto him the joy of his salvation. Guys, you can't lose your salvation if you have it, but you can lose the joy of it. David needed the Holy Spirit to restore it. You want to lose the joy of your salvation? I don't want to lose that in this day and time or I might just go insane and walk off a cliff. A Christian can lose his testimony before the world. People mock God because of the sins of believers. People mock God and blaspheme Him. Do we want that to happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Very sober words here. Verses 33 and 34, just bear with me. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Guys, evil communications, whether it be in word or deed, corrupt your testimony. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. Guys, there are people out here that don't know God. Therefore, awake to righteousness and don't sin. Because your sin corrupts your testimony before those that don't know God. Do you want to lose your testimony? Paul, J- Jesus warned the church at Ephesus that except thou repent, I will come and I will remove your candlestick out of its place. The candlestick, we talked about that back in the beginning of this study, is the testimony of the church. Christ said He'll remove their testimony. That doesn't mean they were going to hell or every time God warns us He's talking about damnation. In in hellfire, no. Their testimony would be gone. And the apostolic church, historically speaking, 
did lose its testimony. And that's why persecution came. That's why the Smyrna period came in, to refine what had been lost. Christian can lose his health. A lot of times sickness has a spiritual cause, a spiritual root. Paul warned the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 30, their misuse of the Lord's table, the covetousness and the gluttony there. He said, for that cause, many are weak and sickly among you. There were people weak and sick in the church at Corinth because of their sin. Christian can lose his health. Christian can lose his heavenly rewards. The Bible says our works will be tried by fire. And some people, all their works are going to burn up. They'll be saved so as by fire, but their rewards, they don't have the rewards to throw at God's Christ's feet. Christian can lose his heavenly rewards when he messes around in these things. He can lose his millennial inheritance. Jesus told the parable of the master that left the servants behind and said, Occupy until I come. One had charge of ten talents. The other had five. And I think one had one. And the one that was faithful, Jesus rewarded him with authority over ten cities. The one that was faithful with the five awarded him authority over five cities. The one that was afraid with the one, Jesus took his reward and gave it to the faithful one with the ten cities. And the, 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 the purpose of that parable was to talk about the coming kingdom and talk about authority. And those who were faithless in their charge lost their millennial inheritance, their authority. A believer can lose his own life. God will kill a man, take him on home, if his life has become a reproach to the gospel. That same passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talked of those who were sick and weak in the church for their sin, he went on to say, and many sleep. Many of you sleep. He didn't say dead because he was talking about unbelievers. He was talking about believers who sleep. They were asleep. They were gone. They were dead in, in the sense of having passed away because of their sin. 1 John warns us in 1 John chapter 5 verses 16 and 17 if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death there is a sin unto death I do not say that he shall pray for it. Guys, in the, in the life of a believer, 1 John was written to believers. There are sins not unto death, and there is a sin unto death. There are sins that bring death in our life. Not eternal damnation, but death. And when we see a brother walking in a sin unto death, and he knows better, and he's been warned, and he refuses, then there's a, there's a time when we don't even need to pray for him anymore. John says, I'm not even going to tell you to pray for it. He knows better. Spend your time praying for others who need it. Those are hard verses right there. But they're true. And they're written to believers. So guys, all of this stuff here, who wants to lose this stuff and be ashamed? John says it 
pretty much the same way in chapter 2, verse 28 of 1 John. And now, little children, abide in Him. In other words, don't abide in this stuff. Don't fall in this stuff that Revelation 21, 8 <coughs> warns about. Abide in Him. Why? That when He shall appear, that means when He comes for His church, on that day, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him. Doesn't mean eternal damnation. Every time we see ashamed or warning or judgment, it's not talking about hellfire. But do you want to be ashamed when the trumpet blows? Or do you want to have confidence? A believer can lose a lot by dabbling in these sins. It's not his identity. But beware, he can lose a lot. But he's still a Christian, a child of God, and God will discipline his children. An unsaved man, on the other hand, he is connected to the sins he commits. He doesn't just do them. They are him. They are part of him. The unbeliever without Christ is sin. The believer is Christ. And his foolishness is sin that dwells in him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and purchased our redemption and rose from the dead... By faith in Him, we are justified. We are delivered from the penalty of sin, which is death, eternal death and damnation. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, not only are we justified, but God sanctifies us. He sets us apart to grow in the Spirit. And through the sanctification of the Spirit, the believer is delivered from the power of sin in his life. We can say no. We don't have to indulge these things. But the believer is also glorified. We carry around this flesh. God puts those warnings in there to motivate us to be righteous. But one day, we will put off this flesh and we will be given a new body. And at that moment, we are freed from the very presence of sin. But you know, when Paul spoke of justification, sanctification, and glorification, he spoke of all of them in the past tense. Because there is good as done. For whom God predestined, He justified. Those He justified, He sanctified. Those He sanctified, He glorified. A future event that's as good as done. And that's why Jesus said, by a man's fruits you can know Him. An unsaved man doesn't commit sin. He is sin. They are part of Him. And these shall have their part, their lot, their destiny, their inheritance in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone. The lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, 21 verse 8 of Revelation, which is the second death. Guys, this is not hell. Hell, I won't go into detail. You can listen to some of the past messages. Hell is God's county jail. It's a holding cell. Revelation 20.14 tells us that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. If you're in hell, if you die and go to hell, you haven't even been judged yet. You're just in the county jail. You're awaiting judgment. You're awaiting your sentence, the great white throne. The lake of fire is God's state penitentiary. You go in and you don't come out. It's God's death road. 
So if you're in hell, you're in the county jail, you haven't been judged yet. You will be judged according to your works, and you'll be cast in God's state pen. There are degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. We've talked about that before. Even the least of all punishments is something you need not suffer because Jesus died for you and rose from the grave. The second death has no power over those that put their that have part in the first resurrection. If you have part in the first resurrection, the second death has no power over you. That's what Jesus told the church at Smyrna. He that overcometh can't be hurt by the second death. The second death awaits the cowards and the unbelievers and the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. But he that overcometh can't be hurt by the second death. What is he that overcometh? I repeated this every time we completed a church in the letters to the seven churches in this study. He that overcometh. Verse 4 of chapter 5 in 1 John 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We're not overcomers by our power. We're overcomers by Jesus Christ. To be an overcomer is to be born of God. Jesus said you must be born again. Born again equals born of God, equals overcomer, equals one who believes and trusts in Christ. Very simple. If you're born again, you're born of God. If you're born of God, you will overcome the world. The proof that I put my trust in Christ back in the summer of 1993 is that all these years later, that's my trust is in Christ. It's not in my righteousness. It doesn't matter all these missionary journeys and all this stuff. I, I did it for God's glory. I pray God was glorified. I pray it won't all burn up in the fire. But my trust is in Christ. He's the only merit for my soul. If you've been born twice, guys, you're only going to die once. Unless the rapture happens when you're here. You'll be like Enoch and Elijah. But if you're born once, you're going to die twice. And the second death is the lake of fire. Where the liars and the abominable and the whoremongers and the adulterers and the liars. Oh, I've said liars, but all of those there. Guys, this verse is the last hellfire and brimstone preaching in the Bible. It's the last warning about hellfire. There are many of them. Jesus spoke more about hell than He did about heaven. Where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. This is the last warning. One last warning. And you know what? That warning is God's mercy. We're told in Amos that God doesn't sin judgment without first sending His prophets to warn about the judgment. So God's not like Allah of the Quran. Allah is in the Bible. He's not the God of the Bible. He's the Nachash, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He's a false god. And the Quran speaks of a God who just does what He pleases. He tempts men with evil. There's a story, in the, it's either in the Quran or in the Hadith, which is the oral traditions concerning uh, Muhammad, where there was a seaside town of people that uh, were fishermen. And God wanted to test them to see if they would rest on His Sabbath. And so what He did is He caused the fish to come on the Sabbath and to leap up and down in the water and basically, hey, here we are, here we are, catch us, catch us if you can. 
and then the people came out and fished, and then God destroyed them. The God of the Bible doesn't tempt men with evil. The God of the Bible doesn't judge without warning. Multiple warnings. We've been warned. And here we have the last hellfire warning. What will we do? You know, this chapter 21 verse 8 is part of an invitation God extends to us. It's the, it's the end of that invitation. That in, invitation is verses 6 through 8. God's great mercy here. It's an invitation. It's not the last invitation. It's the last hellfire warning. But he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Free gift, guys, salvation in Christ. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. <coughs> what will we do? That's God's invitation to the world today. That's His last hellfire warning. What will we do? Maybe we've escaped hellfire, but many have not. We must warn them. We must love them enough to warn them, guys. Not this pitter-patter, beat-around-the-bush, mealy-mouthed gospel that's undermined and weakened the church and her testimony in our country. But warn folks. I warned those folks on the trail the other day. They walked away hating my guts. But I'm okay with that. Because I warned them. I cared enough about them to warn them. Because I don't want them to go to hell. Now, what they do with this between them and the Lord? God warns because He loves us. He's merciful. Well, we're going to end there. I might be taking a break for a little bit when we come back. Come here, John. Let me show you something. Let me show you something here. Let me show you the Lamb's wife. Come and get it. It's an incredible description of our future home. And I look forward to talking to you about that. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, this somber warning, this merciful invitation you extend to us in the book of Revelation. I see the end of the tunnel, Lord, the light at that tunnel. I, this study's coming to an end, and it's bittersweet. I pray, Lord, I preach your word faithfully. I'm just a servant. When a servant does what he's commanded to do, he's unprofitable. I don't deserve any praise. <coughs> Lord, I just pray that we would take these things seriously, that we would not lightly esteem the rock of our salvation and that we would rest in your grace and mercy having escaped these things. And Lord, that we would walk in the Spirit not, not uh, fulfill the lust of the flesh, that we would confess our sins. Lord, we would strive to maintain the joy of our salvation and to maintain heavenly rewards and an inheritance in our testimony. And that we would trust you, Lord, with our health and safety and that our, our very lives, knowing that it's a serious thing to mock the Lord. Lord, we pray for the day when you would deliver us, these old bodies, Lord, from the very presence of sin. You've delivered us from its penalty and its power. Hasten your coming and deliver us from this old body of sin, Lord, this old flesh. But until that, let our loins be girded, as Jesus said, and our lights burning. Help us to love our countrymen enough to warn them. 
not because we hate them or desire them to be cast into the lake of fire, but that they might escape, that they might escape. Lord, have mercy on our nation. Grant us the revival that you gave under Josiah the king. We can call things what they are in truth and that men would turn from the lies and the sorceries and would call upon God, call upon the Lord. Do a work, we pray, Lord. We don't deserve it. Bless the food we're about to eat. Lord, bless our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.